Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, everybody. Sorry for getting the episode up a little bit late. I was guilted into going into my retail job and working yesterday, so I got some research done in the morning and in the evening. But, you know, these midterms have decided to drag their asses along as well. And so there was so much up in the air. I was like, you know what? I'm going to procrastinate a little bit more. I'm going to do some more research in the morning, see if there's any updates. I did what I can. I found some really great resources. So we are going to get to the midterms. But... There's something else that I just want to discuss first, and because this is my show now, I'm going to talk about whatever the fuck I want. And I want to talk about Taylor Swift's Midnight album and my growth into loving this record. So first time I heard Antihero, I was like, yes, this is great. I love this song. As soon as the sexy baby line came in, I was like, what is this? I know it's a 30 Rock reference, but I just think it's like one of the weirdest lines to add into a song ever. But now I am like full-throated, full-heartedly singing sexy baby throughout my house, and I don't know what's wrong with me. My other problem is that I absolutely hated the song Bejeweled when I first heard it. I've never been a big fan of Taylor's more like cheesy songs like Me. Couldn't stand that song. Shake It Off took me forever to get into. And even so, whenever she does the hey, hey, hey part, I like I can't. It's so bad. I have to turn the volume down. I get such secondhand embarrassment. Um I heard that in the me song, she actually cut out the part that was like, spelling is fun. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Oh, Dorothy just climbed into my lap. This is her new thing. When I'm recording, she likes to jump up. So sorry if there was some weird sound in that last part. Um, But now I'm literally like dancing around my house to Bejeweled. I'm singing the really awkward nice part and um, not even hating myself for it. I love it. It's great. So... (laughs) The only reason I'm going through any of that is because I was just talking to my friend Eric from work about all of that because I was like bitching about the song Bejeweled so much being stuck in my head and now I love it and we were expressing our mutual love for that song back and forth and I've been listening to all of those songs nonstop. Um, The song Karma right now is hitting me, it's hitting me real fucking hard. I can relate to that song a lot right now so um Dorothy, we've been singing a lot of Midnights. Yes, we have. Okay, so (laughs) I'm really sorry about this little tangent at the beginning, but that's what's been on my mind, and I am procrastinating talking about politics and things like that. So let me pull up my notes, and we can begin discussing actual news being the midterms. 
So leading into the midterm elections on Tuesday, the biggest thing that we were hearing on pretty much every news platform was that there was going to be this red wave. Now, we've discussed on the show in the past, Keegan and I, that you can't really rely on polls, but it's still something yet every single election we hold on to those polls and the you know projected winners, and we think that that's exactly what's going to happen, and that is not what happened at all, and it feels really, really good. And even a lot of the Republicans are kind of admitting like, yeah, this wasn't the success that we were hoping for. Ben Shapiro even commented that it went from a red wave to a red wedding, which may be the only funny thing that I think that man has ever said, because fuck Ben Shapiro. Election Day was even described as an absolute disaster on Fox News. In Georgia, Herschel Walker, not Johnson, was neck and neck with Senator Raphael Warnock and Governor Brian Kemp defeated the effervescent Stacey Abrams, unfortunately. So Georgia right now is in a little bit of a stalemate. They are going to go into a runoff on December 6th for Warnock and Walker. Neither Warnock or Walker were above the 50% threshold needed to outright win in Georgia law. If you remember from the presidential election, Georgia has a very specific way of going about choosing their winner. And I feel like it usually ends in a runoff all the time. So right now, Herschel Walker is at 48.54% and Warnock is at 49.42%. Both candidates appear positive about the upcoming runoff, and Herschel Walker's comments are particularly entertaining because aren't they always? Uh, He compared himself to Will Ferrell's character in the movie Talladega Nights and said, I'm telling you right now, I'm like Ricky Bobby. I don't come to lose. (laughs) So gross. And the whole race between Walker and Warnock has been so fascinating to me, especially seeing reactions on social media, has been the large amount of support from the white evangelical community for Herschel Walker, especially when Raphael Warnock is an actual reverend. It's really astonishing to me, especially with all of the controversy that has surrounded Herschel Walker's campaign. We discussed the secret abortions and, quote, secret babies on the show before. But there have also been other controversies as well. In the primary, Walker would just straight up skip debates, avoided going to interviews with any media company whose views didn't align with his, and yet somehow he cruised to an easy victory to go up against Raphael Warnock. When he would show up for debates, he would make really, really stupid comments, such as saying that spending any money to tackle air pollution was wasteful because, quote, bad air from China would float into our good air. And you people actually voted for him. I mean, not you people. People listening to the show, there's no way in hell that you voted for Herschel Walker. But I'm just saying in general, human beings voted for this person who believes that bad air from China is going to float over into the U.S. and pollute. Okay, okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. Y'all need science. His campaign was also centered around blaming Warnock and other Washington Democrats for higher gas prices, inflation, and other hot-button topics to the party's largely older white evangelical base. This was seen across most of the Republican candidates. They really, really focused on their hatred of Biden, which I've read in some opinion pieces online that that focusing too much on their distaste and hatred for Biden could have actually been why the voting didn't turn out as well and that maybe people are secretly less conservative than they're appearing to be. I don't know. Again, these were opinion pieces, but I think of it as food for thought. 
So in the only debate that Herschel Walker attended within the last month before the midterm elections, Walker stated, I'm here to tell you that they will raise your taxes, give you higher inflation. They even put men in women's sports. Fuck you, man. He also highlighted Warnock's support of President Biden, and hating Biden is super in with the right right now, but it's also super in with the left. And that's one thing that I really wish the conservatives would understand is that, like, we don't like Biden either. It's just for, like, the opposite reason that you don't like Biden. Sorry. We will find out the conclusion of this event in Georgia on December 6th. I had a listener reach out wanting me to specifically discuss the elections in Florida, and you know I'm going to talk plenty about Florida either way, listeners. There's always so much going on there, especially when we have someone like Ron DeSantis who is in charge. DeSantis won the election with a nearly 20% lead over Democrat Charlie Crist. Charlie Crist was actually a Republican before winning the state's Democratic nomination for governor in August of 2022. Now that is how red Florida is. Even their Democrats are Republicans. He served as Florida's Republican governor from 2007 to 2011. Then he became an independent in 2010 and launched an unsuccessful bid for U.S. Senate against Marco Rubio. Speaking of Marco Rubio, the man also dominated in the polls, beating out his opponent by 16 points. When I was writing this out, I was like, I feel like I'm talking sports with Max, only I'm the one doing the talking. (laughs) DeSantis has continually dodged questions about whether or not he has his eyes on the presidency. He's referred to these things as rumors from the woke media, and many believe that winning this election is a stepping stone for his bid to become president. And I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on for a second here because this fact makes Chris's concession speech a little bit fishier to me. So when Charlie Crist conceded to DeSantis, he said, Governor DeSantis, to you and your family, I wish you the best. And I wish the best to my fellow Floridians. And I wonder if he is so cool about losing because he would have a better chance for the job once DeSantis leaves. Like, maybe it's a win-win for the both of them. I don't know. Like I said, totally putting on my tinfoil hat. But I wouldn't put it past anybody these days to put together these kinds of political schemes. Of course, all of this support for DeSantis has left Trump in his feelings. And he doesn't appreciate that DeSantis may be considering going for his job. On the social media platform Truth Social, Trump posted that DeSantis was a, quote, average Republican governor with great public relations, which sounds like he's kind of undermining his wins and DeSantis as a leader in general. He's also nicknamed him DeSantimonious at previous rallies, which Trump could not have thought of himself because he doesn't know words that big. It seems like Trump believes that DeSantis has his eyes on the presidency. That means that DeSantis can no longer be an ally of his. And it truly does seem like even the conservatives are starting to kind of come around to DeSantis even more than Trump. And I can't decide who's more evil and who I'm more afraid of in these circumstances. Because as we know, Ron DeSantis is a raging fucking chauvinistic asshole, racist, transphobe, homophobe, awful human being. Uh, He will definitely ignite anger and rage in our right. And that is terrifying. But we've also seen the amount of damage that Donald Trump can do. So I don't really know who's better in this case. They both suck. One of the biggest upsets to me was Beto O'Rourke losing to Greg Abbott in Texas. 
The people that were affected by the recent school shooting at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, were heartbroken that Beta O'Rourke was defeated. Abbott actually won at 60.27%, which is a, a much larger gap than I thought that there would be in this race. Part of Beto's campaign was a plan to raise the minimum age that you're eligible to purchase a semi-automatic rifle from age 18 to age 21. And I say if you can't buy a beer, you shouldn't be able to buy a deadly weapon, right? This is largely due to the killer at Rob Elementary purchasing the murder weapon on his 18th birthday. So this was something that victims' families really feel like Abbott had ignored in their pleas for a change in Texas laws. So they were really disheartened that he's going to be serving another term. And I remember watching the documentary of Beto originally running back in 2018, I believe, and the momentum that was behind him. And like he was so popular and fantastic. Um, And I just don't really know if there was that same momentum behind him this time i have seen a lot of memes online of like uh what's that one where it's like the guy doing the peace sign and he's kind of fading out like he's fading into the background and it says gen z showing up to support beto o'rourke and it's true like i feel like if more young voters had gone out and supported beto o'rourke maybe he would have had a better chance at winning but then again i can't really say that without looking at who the voters were i just have a feeling that especially in the larger populated cities like austin you know dallas is more democratic now places like that i feel like there should have been more people voting for Beto that would have helped the state out in general. But I don't really know all the details on that. A lot of this stuff is still kind of unfolding and coming out. And I had a lot of other research to do. Before I get into some of the positive outcomes from the election, I am going to take a very, very brief commercial break. Hold your horses. I'll be right back. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing 
to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm back. Did you miss me? Okay, so let's talk some positive outcomes that came about from the midterm elections. I'm going to talk about some landmark wins, and with some of these you're going to be like, it's about damn time. In Massachusetts, Maura Healey became the first openly gay person and the first woman to be elected to governor of Massachusetts. In Florida, yes, there is some good news in Florida, Maxwell Frost became the first Gen Z House member representing the 10th district. Wes Moore became the first black governor of Pennsylvania. Becca Belint became the first woman elected to Congress from Vermont. And Zanab Mohammed became the youngest woman elected to the Minnesota Senate. Congratulations, everybody. Let's talk about some more progressive winners. This was a very exciting one for me. John Fetterman won his race for Senator of Pennsylvania. Greg Caesar won his race for U.S. House in Texas's 35th district, which I looked up and that covers Austin and San Antonio. Kristen Gonzalez won her race for New York Senate in their 59th district. Darren Madison won in the Wisconsin State Assembly in the 10th district. Gabriel Acevedo won his race for Maryland House of Delegates in the 39th District. Elizabeth Epps won her race in Colorado for State House in the 6th District. And Peter Welch won his race for U.S. Senator of Vermont. He is only the second ever Democrat senator from the state of Vermont. Mary Moriarty was elected to Hennepin County Attorney, and that is in Minnesota. Hennepin and Ramsey Counties, where I grew up in Ramsey County, are right next to each other. And I grew up with a bunch of Moriartys, so I wonder if I either met this gal or some of her family at any point in my life. In Iowa, Kimberly Graham was elected as Polk County Attorney, which includes Des Moines, Iowa, which is a more progressive part of a very conservative state. Andrea Campbell in Massachusetts won her race for Attorney General. Joe Neguse won his race for U.S. House in Colorado's 2nd District. Debbie Dingle won her race for U.S. House in Michigan's 12th District. And the squad all held on to their positions with AOC, Cori Bush, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Jamal Bowman all winning their races. There were also lots of seats flipped by Democrats. Like I mentioned, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, Maura Healey in Massachusetts, Wes Moore in Maryland, Hillary Shulton in Michigan, Greg Landsman in Ohio, Nikki Budzinski in Illinois, who also wins coolest last name, Emily Sykes in Ohio, and the entire Michigan State Senate flipped. The Michigan State Senate has been Republican since 1988. Three. This is a change after 40 years that is absolutely monumental. So that felt like a lot of lists, but I wanted to make sure that we covered as many of the important progressive candidates that won as possible. But now let's get into some of the topics that were really the hot button issues of the midterms and what the results were. Good news for abortion advocates. Voters in Vermont voted to codify abortion rights into their state constitution, as did Michigan and California. Kentucky voters rejected an amendment to the state constitution that would have banned abortion. So great news on the abortion front. Some good news on workers' rights, I guess, because some of this still seems a little bit archaic to me. 
Voters in Washington, D.C. outlawed the sub-minimum wage loophole. That seems fantastic to me. Nebraska voted to raise their minimum wage to $15 an hour, which to me still seems low because I believe in California it might be $17 for certain things. I did also hear that McDonald's just raised their minimum wage to like $18 or their starting uh, wage to $18 an hour or something like that. So, man, McDonald's is not looking bad right now. Nevada voted to amend the Nevada Constitution to set the minimum wage to $12 starting in January 2024. And this is the one where I was like, I don't get how this is a positive because this still seems ridiculously low. I don't know how much cheaper it is to live in Nevada than it is in LA. I'm sure it's very different, but still $12 to like live on just doesn't seem appropriate to me. Also in Illinois, voters voted to guarantee workers the right to organize and bargain collectively, which I love because there was actually a discussion about this at work the other day because we had someone probably like six or seven months ago that just like openly stated their wages and they worked a position much lower than me. They were like at a starting position and were making like a good buck 50 more than me and this person said it like in front of everybody so everyone started being like what the fuck about their wages and it created this drama and one person like even went to our boss and just like laid it all out on the table and did it in a way that didn't really benefit any of us because now we are all being encouraged not to talk about our wages and it's scaring a lot of our like younger employees feeling like they can't openly discuss this stuff with each other and I'm like no this isn't right like we should all be able to discuss what we're making to be sure that we're being paid fairly that's something that I really learned when you know researching about the wage gap you know if we never discussed the discrepancies between the pay for men and women we would never even know what to fight for in terms of our wages and I think that that's true for anybody at a job I don't think that anybody should be scared of discussing what they make with their co-workers because I think that if anything it's just going to make everything more fair and the fact that bosses are trying to like push that aside is really really shady to me can you tell that i really need the fuck out of my toxic retail job (laughs) cannabis became legal in a few more states this time around both maryland and missouri has voted to legalize the possession and use of cannabis products now let's let everyone in the state prisons who are in there for marijuana possession out yeah This next topic was absolutely shocking to me. One of the topics on the ballot was eliminating involuntary servitude. Like, we are in the goddamn 1800s. Voters in three states approved measures that would change their state's constitutions to prohibit slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime. It was being called the Anti-Slavery Ballot Initiative, which should have been enough for everyone to be on board for this initiative, right? Because who the fuck wants to say they're for slavery? Except for maybe Louisiana, because Louisiana being a former slaveholding state, voters rejected Amendment 7, which asked whether they supported the use of involuntary servitude in the criminal justice system. So I guess Louisiana is for slavery. But the states that approved of the measures to end slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime were Alabama, Tennessee, Vermont, and Oregon. 
Even though the 13th Amendment was ratified only 150 years ago, the slavery exception continues to permit the exploration of low-cost labor by incarcerated individuals. And this is something that I think that should really be discussed further on the podcast. I really enjoyed the documentary 13, and I feel like it did a really great job about encapsulating so much of the history of the 13th Amendment and how people of color are still being mistreated in our prison systems today. So maybe that would be a good documentary to cover just to give a really good overview of that whole topic. All right, there was one other discussion that I wanted to have because I feel like, again, this is going to be a conversation that I think I would like to have further on a full-length episode in the show at another point. But this was something that I've been following this week that angered me, that really made me feel a lot. So I wanted to discuss it a little bit with all of you. And that was the arrest of Nikita Dragon. She is a popular trans beauty influencer, and she was arrested after an altercation in a map in a Miami hotel pool. She was charged with one count of felony battery, disorderly conduct, and misdemeanor battery. But Nikita, who has been open about her male-to-female transition online and is now legally female, was listed as a male on her booking paperwork and was sent to a men's unit. I cannot imagine the amount of fear going through her mind, knowing where she was being sent. And I cannot believe the officer who misgendered her on her fucking arrest paperwork. What is wrong with you? Especially when someone is legally a female. Did you not ask to look at her ID or anything? Were you just making assumptions? And what was your fucking point? This person is already going to be sent to to jail and to be punished for something. Why do you have to make it that much fucking worse? In a video of the hearing with the judge, Mindy Glazer, you can hear Nikita asking, do I have to stay in the men's unit? And Glazer replied that she, quote, didn't make the rules. Then bitch, who fucking does? Judge, you're the judge. You literally make the rules and decide where she's going to go and the sentencing and all that. Oh my God. (sighs) Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's okay. It's not okay. This decision, according to Nikita's reps, violates the Miami-Dade County Protocol, which mandates that transgender inmates are classified and housed based on safety needs and gender identity. According to Florida law, trans inmates are allowed to be placed in gender-specific prisons on a case-by-case basis, but reports have found that trans convicts in Florida can face heavy discrimination. Thankfully, Nikita has been released and is now safe, but if this has happened once, it's happened a thousand times in our justice system, and this starts an important conversation about the treatment of trans inmates. Studies show that trans inmates statistically face greater degrees of violence than any other group incarcerated. They face violence from both fellow inmates and by prison staff. They are also rarely given gender-affirming health care, which is something that also violates prisoners' rights. There's, again, so much in this whole topic, and I think that, again, this needs a much, much longer conversation than a mini-episode would allow me to do. 
Oh my gosh, I am like losing my voice after that. I barely took a breath for the last like 29 minutes that I've been recording. So I'm going to wrap it up a little bit for you all. I want to again thank you all so much for your love and support for me and for the show. If you want to show your support for the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your Spotify app and rate and review us there. I did have someone asking about reviewing on Spotify. It looks like you can only rate with like a star system. They don't ask for a comment or anything like that or else I would be asking you for that as well. If you want to reach out to me, if you want to see what's going on with the show, if you want to just see some random shit that I like to post on the stories, you can follow me on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. If you want another little sneak peek into my personal life, you can follow me personally on my Instagram page at She's Madigan. The show has a Facebook business and group page. You can you can rate and review on the business page and chat with the listeners on the group page. Although fair warning, if some of you haven't been accepted into the Facebook group at the moment, I just got a new phone and I can't get into my Facebook. So feel free to use it for yourselves at the moment, but give me some time to figure out how the fuck to get into my account and then all of you will be accepted into the groups and so on and so forth. Let me see. Am I forgetting anything else? I already did reviews. I've done Facebook. I've done Instagram. Well, if there's any topic ideas, news topics, full-length episode topics, and suggestions that you have for me, please email the show at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Still, if you have any suggestions for a potential co-host or sidekick, I will still be taking in suggestions. Luckily, I am starting to work a little bit of a lighter schedule with my retail job, so I should be able to reach out to all of you who have reached out to to me within this week to set up conversations and interviews and all that kind of fun stuff. I'm so excited to continually watch this show grow. And again, thank you so much to everybody for all of your undying love and support. I appreciate you all so much. And you know what? That's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Nice. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new. Or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Redolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.